fade in. You're listening to Let's Bogart. Please welcome your host, Daniel Williston. It's me, it's just me. Welcome, buds. You're listening to Let's Bogart, the recreational review podcast where we rate hits by fading out before we fade in. So whether you're here for the plot or the pot, we'll roll cameras and roll joints and curate a pairing experience both celluloid and cannabinoid in nature. Well, welcome back to the normal programming of Let's Bogart. We just did October all month long, Halloween month where we paired a bunch of great strains with a bunch of uh, some great horror movies, some terrible horror movies. But either way, we had a great month of watching some horror stuff, and it was very fun. But I'm excited to get back into some other kinds of movies. And have we got one today for you. We are watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It is a 1990, uh, 1990, 1966 Western. It's two hours and 58 minutes long. It's got a meta score, uh, uh, Metacritic score of 90, and Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 92%. Clint Eastwood. I had never seen this movie before. I It's been on my list for a long time. I just haven't ever gotten around to watching it, and this was a great excuse. We paired it up with an excellent weed, really heavy-hitting indica. It is LBS Sunset. LBS. What do you think LBS stands for? It's Leafs by Snoop. I wouldn't be able to say that if I was in my uh, retail location. But because I'm on a podcast, <laughs> it's Snoop Dogg's weed. Sunset. It's owned by Canopy. Uh, uh, so that could go either way, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great. I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I had smoked it before. I liked smoking it again. Um, I don't, uh, we, well, we talk about it. We talk about it on the show and I get to talk about it with a good friend of mine who is an actor and a musician, uh, and has done some really cool stuff. And we had an awesome conversation about it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Daniel, can you tell us a little bit about who we have on the podcast today? All right, my next guest today. My guest today hails from Toronto, Ontario. He is the grad. He's a graduate of the National Theater School in Montreal. He studied at Ryerson University for acting. Not only is he the second blind juggler in his family, but he <laughs> is the lead singer and rhythm guitarist for Bad Holiday, a pop punk party band that is making huge waves with their debut album Nineteen, which recently was championed by Ed the Sock on his throwback music video channel New Music Nation. They also have Biff Naked in their corner, and any friend of Biff's is a friend of mine. So. Please welcome to the show the incredibly talented Edward Kennington. Ed, how's it going, buddy? It's going very well, Daniel. Thank you for that amazing introduction. I'm very flattered. <laughs> Yo, you're you're fucking cool, man. I I've been listening to the album and I really love it. And I I think what I love so much about it is it captures it's it feels new, but there's like a like a high school part of me that really gets excited when I listen to it. It really touches a part of me that was like super excited about uh, 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 music in like grade nine. That's uh, that means so much. That's that's sort of 
it's hard to capture that feeling again. And I, I've been sort of trying to tap into that because I remember just, yeah, devouring music when I was in high school and just loving it so much. And I've noticed, yeah, as I've gotten older, the um, the passion to find new stuff and just kind of go through discographies as fast as I can just isn't there anymore. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's, that's all I really want from this music. I want people to feel about my music the way other people's music made me feel. So that's, that's, well, that's yeah. a huge compliment. <laughs> and, they, and they talk about like how... Uh, uh, the music that you listen to in your high school years is like the music that you're going to love for the rest of your life. Totally. Which like is a problem for me because Limp Biscuit was really popular, but like <laughs> also it's, it, it's great to have some of those like nostalgia throwbacks. And right now it, it seems like the sound of everyone's music tends to blend together. Like it's really all about this like uh, R&B uh, dance music mm -hmm. kind of amalgam that's happening definitely um so to have some like rock bands kicking around and getting attention from people is really exciting because that's that's, oh, yeah. that's where i come from and love i agree i i feel like there there's been a bit of a shift obviously in the, the popularity of rock over the last few years sure. you know pop music's become number one again uh -huh. But I think what's so why that is, and I was talking about this with Michelle, actually, my, my girlfriend, mm -hmm. Michelle, who was on the first episode of this. That's yeah. right. Michelle Schuster, yeah. huge friend of the show. Yeah. So she, she's awesome. So I got to thank her for getting yeah. me on here, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we were, we were talking about that. And one thing I, I was saying about the reason pop music has dominated so much is you can basically do anything in pop music. You can make a disco sure. song. You can make it hip hop. You can add a little rock in there if you want. You're you're not sure. limited, and so I think that's why the, the general masses are so much more fascinated by pop because you're hearing different genres, but you you don't realize you're hearing different genres because that one artist is still doing their thing. Yeah, uh, and I think that's why rock music seems so limited to people because when you look at a band and it's just a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer, you're like, well, what can they do? And I totally understand that in the limitations of rock music, but mm -hmm. I just happen to love rock music, so <laughs> that's that's where I'm gravitating well, towards. And I mean, as much as as much as the the makeup of of rock bands tends to be uh, like, especially garage bands like the ones that that you play and the one that I play in, uh, I mean, there's a huge difference between the sound of Green Day and Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, I think there's there is still uh, uh, a lot of room in there to find it, but yeah, you you do have to find something for the bassist to do. <laughs> Whereas if uh, Drake is producing his new track and he wants a, like a, a thuddy bass uh, uh, line from a keyboard, you can just sit down and find a sample that works and yeah. sounds completely different from all the other stuff that you've done before. That's pro you're probably that's a little more on, on the nose, I'd say. Yeah, because there still is a lot of room in rock, but you're right. The the limitations of the instruments, you have to find something for that guy to do as opposed to yeah, that yeah. in the, the hip-hop pop world where if you if you want the whole song to just be one little synth line you can totally get away with that and i and i can see that being the appeal not only for the artist but of the general music masses because you can buy bieber's bieber's one album and it's this and you buy his next album and it's it's totally different and yeah i love green day but almost every green day album sounds like green day and i'm yeah. not gonna necessarily find something new on the fifth green day album so right that's uh, yeah i guess that's where the the limitations come in with rock but like i said that's that's what i love i love the guitar sound the bass sound the drum sound yeah. so i'm i'm still hooked something lovely and organic about all that that i yet yeah, that i really dig definitely uh, so this is a uh, a pot podcast ed so uh what we want to know is what do you remember about the first time that you tried cannabis Oh man, that's a great question. I, I the funny thing is the first time I tried cannabis, I did not get high. 
uh, sure. t- typical story. So mm-hmm. I- I've actually got a cool, a cool little few little things that kind of built me up to when I got high for the first time. So oh, I tr- I, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I was a totally misinformed smoker. So I smoked wrong for like two years before I realized that I wasn't smoking weed properly. <laughs> So grade eight, buddy of mine who had an older brother, obviously that's where he got the thing. He said mm-hmm. to me, "Hey man, do you want do you want to try this thing? Smoke some weed." And I was like, "Oh man, I'm 14. That seems that seems crazy. You know, my parents will kill me." Little did I know that they were obviously still indulging themselves. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at the time it seemed crazy. So he comes over with a couple joints. We smoke them. He gets just bombed. His eyes are red and he's like out of it. And I'm like, "Oh, I guess I should feel that way." So I kind of like you know slip my eyes and I'm like, "Oh yeah, man, this is so cool." Oh, Oh, I'm so hungry. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> but literally felt nothing. And I just thought, oh, I guess this is just being high is kind of just this. Sure, whatever. Sure. But I realized his mistake was he didn't tell me about inhaling. I just, I was literally just yeah, taking like it in and breathing it out. Like, exactly, like a cigar. No, no one, no one told me. So sure. for grade eight and all of grade nine and a good chunk of grade 10, I'm smoking joints with people and I'm just breathing it in, exhaling. And I started thinking, oh, I guess I've got a high tolerance or I don't, I don't, or, or weed isn't very good. I don't know, whatever. So did that for like (laughs) two years. And then finally I go to uh, dark side of Oz, which is a, uh, an old Toronto tradition where they used to play dark side of the moon uh, over top of wizard of Oz at the Bloor cinema. And you were allowed to smoke in the theater. I don't know how (sighs) this was in any way authorized, but they didn't crack down. It was the best. And it, only at a few little year window where they allowed that, and eventually they said, "Oh God, no! What are we sure. doing? We're letting you know, <laughs> fire hazard. We're letting teenagers <laughs> smoke weed in a building. This is ridiculous." <laughs> um, but I remember that I went to Dark Side of Oz for the first time, and someone passes me a joint, and I take the hit. And my buddy sitting next to me goes, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "You just like exhaled the smoke." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "That's that's not smoking." So he pulls a bong out and hands me this bong, and he goes, "Here, smoke this." So I take a rip and I lean back and that's like the last thing I remember. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my first experience getting high was sitting there during Dark Side of Oz, losing my mind. Uh, Luckily, by the end, I had kind of, you know, come back down and was able to go home. But there were a couple hours there where I was just like, it it felt like the most intense experience ever. I'm listening to Pink Floyd. I've got all these great visuals. Yeah, it's fucking legendary, legendary first time getting high. (laughs) <laughs> but the funny thing is, you talk to all my friends, and they'd be like, you, you were smoking weed with us all through grade 9 and grade 10. You were never getting high. And I'm like, never. <laughs> never. Not once. So I, <laughs> First time. Yeah. So I, I've always thought that as a, a crazy story where I smoked weed for basically two years without ever getting high. So. That's fucking right. Well, you know, you were, you were uh, uh, dating it, waiting for marriage. You know, there the, you, you were figuring <laughs> out what, what worked and what didn't, and then going for it exactly in, in the most beautiful place you could possibly do it a cinema watching wizard of oz while pink floyd is playing it was fantastic have you have you seen the um the uh uh alice in wonderland the wall no i never did that one and that was another one i heard of that apparently is quite good as well yeah that's my favorite one i think it's uh, i mean i had a great experience with it i was very very blasted uh, uh in new brunswick while watching it for the first time but it was it, it, the coincidences are i i think more apparent than in the other the other couple ones okay cool well yeah i mean i, I always like i've i've always been sort of on the fence about how how true it may or may not be i mean i, I don't think that there's any real evidence that they would have done that no of course not they were making good music and yeah. people who were getting high listening to it were like you know what really works man you watch yeah. a movie you put this on and wear these fucking pink slippers yeah and then that's really where it's at <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and so there's there, you know there's some times in the movie that it, that it seems pretty good, but th- there's one point that always gets me is when money starts. When yeah. when she opens the door to Munchkin Land and money kicks in and the, the like the the uh, the color comes up, that to me I was like, oh, that's a moment that feels very real, even though it's yeah obviously totally coincidental. But there's there's something really cool in some of those bits. Um, yeah. The the one that actually uh, not not as many people know about is there's a there's a great uh, thing you can sync up in 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, oh. The last the, from from the time when the title card comes on, uh, it says Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite. That last that last little segment of the movie. It's exactly mm. twenty three minutes and forty seconds long, uh-huh. and the Pink Floyd song Echoes is twenty three minutes and forty seconds long. If you Whoa. sync them up, they start and end at the exact same time. It's it's Whoa. unbelievable, and it's the only way I want to watch that movie now because the actual soundtrack going on is good, but it can't beat Pink Floyd. Come on now, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've done that. I've done that a few times. It's it's well worth your time if you got twenty three minutes. So uh, those are. I think That's it's even on YouTube I'm, already synced up. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may have twenty three minutes today that I'm going to put <laughs> into that. That sounds fucking great. So uh, we got to smoke. Um, uh, LBS Sunset. Uh, have you a look at that? You've got it right in your hands. Oh yeah, I got all the info and everything. <laughs> got all the info. <laughs> so, uh, how how much did you get of it? Did you get three point five? I got I got a three point five. Yeah, and we yeah. Uh, we smoked about half of it. Watched the first time, and then I killed it off when I watched it the second time. So nice, yeah. mm-hmm. nice. And uh, uh, had you smoked it before doing it? Uh, 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 for the show? Uh, no, I hadn't. I had done something by LBS before. I can't remember what it was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't Sunset. So this is the first time trying the Sunset. Oh, amazing. Straight. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, LBS stands for Leafs by Snoop, <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool. It's a, like Snoop Dogg's weed. And it's weird that you can't like, it's, it's a strange thing when I started bud tending because they were like, yeah, LBS is Leafs by Snoop. Houseplant is Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's uh, company. Like, there were all the... Uh, Tragically Hip has one. Trailer Park Boys have one. Uh, but you can't... Because of the legalities in Canada right now around cannabis, you can't have celebrity endorsements. So even if you have... Even if you're the CEO of the company, you can't associate your brand with that cannabis, which so kind of... I think it's very... Like, I get that it's trying to you know not attract children is uh, it seems to be kind of everywhere that they're uh, making rules but like <laughs> it makes it very difficult for entrepreneurs who are trying to uh, uh expand their cannabis sales from the states into the into canada and starting in canada like uh, uh, I, I know that uh, tragically hip were trying to get one uh get one going and they i think they left it because they were just like it's what what can we do like it's not worth it yeah honestly <laughs> us divesting from the company and leaving it is the best thing that we could do because they can't use us for anything other than capital which is yeah. stupid that's a really bad system yeah. I think so. I think so. I think it deserves a bit of changing. But yeah, so Leafs by Snoop uh, LBS is owned by uh, 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 Canopy Growth Company, who owns a bunch of other... Uh, uh, there's a lot of shifting around of all these companies as they try to... Uh, you know, figure out what what combination of brands they're looking for. Yeah. Um, it was started in Colorado uh, in 2015. Wow. Um, and had California roots, obviously, because of Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Uh, and they got sued. They got sued by... Um, they they tried to bring up their logo from the States, which is a maple leaf. Oh. 
Lost so in then city. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there seems to be some kind of famous Maple Leafs in uh, in Canada. I don't know who uses that as a, a brand moniker. Maybe the guys on my hat. I'm not sure. Oh, I think. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. So they brought it up, and they were told, "Don't use it." And I guess Snoop Dogg was just like, "I don't give a fuck." Yeah. So that he wouldn't care. Yeah. That's so funny. So the though, top because they're using Leafs, not leaves. They're using the the incorrect terminology which is why the maple leafs has always been this kind of thing it's it's not a correct word there is no such thing That's as right. leafs it's leaves so leaves snoop yeah. easily could have done leaves by, leaves snoop, by snoop and he would have had nothing but i guess leafs by snoop sounds better you know and uh yeah. well and they're suing them specifically because of the maple leaf the logo maple leaf. not the because the, the, the name is incorrect but it's still not copyrighted i guess yeah, gotcha so it's it we we very famously have a maple leaf as our thing, which is, I mean, from the Canadian flag. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anyone has right to it, I guess it's probably a Toronto hockey company rather than a California rapper. But I mean, <laughs> but still, you're right. It's it's a Canadian it's a Canadian icon that was or a Canadian image that was taken by a Toronto <laughs> hockey team, and they're now kind yeah. of claiming ownership over. Yeah, that's a little yeah, a little now. silly. So uh, it's it's grown in uh, uh, Smith Falls, Ontario. You ever been to Smith Falls? I haven't. Where's that? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no. Is it like Eastern Ontario? Yeah, Eastern or Western Ontario? Smith Falls. I'm looking it up right now. It is. Oh, it's uh, in Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. Eastern Ontario. Okay. Eastern Ontario. Cool. Yeah, it has a railway museum of Eastern Ontario. Ooh, that's and that's a Smith a Falls day. Heritage House Museum. Why it thinks that museums are the only thing that I'm interested in, I'm not <laughs> sure. But yeah, Smith Falls, which uh, uh, it, it's great that it's being grown here in country and not being shipped over from the states. Like, employ some Canadians to do some of this stuff. That's nice. Um. And what else? Uh, it's an indica. Are uh, are you? Do you normally smoke an indica, or are you? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. An, I'm an indica guy. Uh, indica if, full. If 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 the option is there, yeah, I'll always take the full indica. Just because sure. I I I find that overall the 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 flavors and tastes from sativas just don't really appeal to me in the same way as as indicas oh. do. I love the oh, kind of strong, really intense. Uh, flavor and smell that you get with the the indicas, specifically Cushes. I've always been been a big fan of the yeah. Cushes. So and and I like I like a heavy feeling. If I'm gonna smoke, I like to really feel it. Um, and I, I may be the opposite of a lot of people, but I like to smoke indica and then do creative stuff. I find it really does help me. Like so, that, I'm the opposite. A lot of other people say it should be sativa, it should be sativa. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll smoke a big bowl of Kush and then I'll I'll play guitar for three four hours or I'll, or I'll write for three or four hours. And like I find that just kind of the the heavy feeling is what I need for that. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a big indica fan myself. Yeah. What about you? Do you uh, I, I you know what? I jump around often. Sativas are the only ones that I I sometimes go. I need a I need a break from them for a while. And often because of the show, um, a lot of people tend to uh, like favor sativas for mm. doing stuff. So if they're going to watch a movie or they're going to do work or whatever, they want to have the sativa thing. So I find myself going through periods where I'm like, okay, like five guests in a row all want to do heavy hitting sativas. And I'm like, it's, it's a little much on my system. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, so I'll like hybrids are a great place to start for me. I tend to like try to do my evening. Like I, I, 
hope to be smoking around 420 in the day and i'll start with a like a hybrid or a sativa and then by like eight or nine i start moving into the indica because the indica within four or five hours i'm gonna kind of be heavy heavy eyelids and wanting to go to sleep so that's cool though you know you got you got a good system that works that's a yeah that's a good way to do it yeah and everyone's system is completely different and everyone's finding the stuff that works for them right do you ever do, can I ask you this? Do you ever, you're, you're an actor. Do you ever do acting work while high? Yes, actually. I, I find that um, on, like working on stuff while high is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I very, I don't think I've, I've never filmed anything high thinking about that. I think just because I'm on set and I'm like, you know what, man, this isn't, this is not the place I want to be messing place. stuff yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've done, I've done a few plays uh, way back in the day. You know, I was in high school and stuff like that. I, I didn't really think twice about it because it, yeah. it's not something that really affects my performance. I can still sure. kind of tap into whatever I need to tap into. But for, mm-hmm. for rehearsals, I find it fascinating because if i'm trying to remember lines being stoned makes it that little extra bit harder and Mm -hmm. so if i'm like working on a monologue or something like that yeah i'll get really high and i'll run it like 20 times knowing that when i come back to it sober it'll i'll be i'll be locked in because i had to struggle to overcome the interesting kind of overcoming the the being intoxicated so i find it's a really good rehearsal tool for me yeah like almost like putting a resistance band on your like exercise so that by the time you're yeah exactly it it does a really good job with that for me i mean i'm sure other people would be going crazy if they smoked indica and then auditioned but yeah i i find for for monologues back when i was auditioning for theater school i would i would i would always do that i would just yeah work work high and then audition sober and it was always it was always good yeah so uh what did you get did you uh uh take a sniff of the the lbs Yes, it did. Uh, sunset. Yeah. And what did you get from the the smell of it? Uh it's it's got a nice sort of I have another little smell now. It's still in there. A, a sort of a flowery smell. Nice. Yeah. Um, whoops! If I can get this thing open. These damn containers. There we go. <laughs> yeah, nice and flowery. Good. Good mm-hmm. indica. Some hints of. I say a little bit of maybe a little bit of lemon in there. Yeah. Yeah, but quite a nice smell. I enjoyed it. The the taste I wasn't uh, totally down for. I found the actual taste was a little bit lacking compared to the smell. Yeah, I agree. I I, I was getting some limonene and like a lemony kind of citrusy sweetness. Yeah. Uh, a full kind of like um um almost uh, spicy and earthy stuff yeah. from both the pre and the post grind nose on it. But yeah, then when it was when I was tasting it. All of that citrus was gone. All of that sweetness was gone. Yeah. It was just really, really earthy and smoky, like a like a campfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was a little surprised by that, uh, just because yeah. normally when those smells are there, there's there's a little bit there's a little bit still in that in that taste. So, yeah, yeah. And usually, it's your nose is picking up on stuff that you're gonna be able to then taste. So for it to change its uh, its profile so drastically was mm-hmm. uh, surprising. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I uh, I smoked it out of my bong um, and had it uh, summon a vaporizer too. I find like vaping it, I'll uh, vaping flower. I'll get a better read on the on the taste of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but both sort of tasted kind of the same. It was both very smoky and very uh, very yeah earthy and thick and uh, lush. Yeah, very very very. Which strong. isn't necessarily bad, but uh, it would have been nice to have a little bit of that that citrus that sweetness follow along with it yeah especially when it's when it is a nice smell you you want to you want to get that you know you want to experience that that's Mm -hmm. the yeah that's you you wanting wanting to to you know get on board with it Mm -hmm. absolutely um it's uh it the the tagline that they have for their like the like sort i guess 
yeah, tagline that they have for the company is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> do you do you feel that they fulfill that? Um, you know what? Yeah. Over, overall, I will I will say the uh, their slogan is uh, is doing the right job. Um, the the only criticism I had was the the, the difference in taste from the smell. Um, yeah. the hit was nice. Uh, I mean, I did I did it in the bong like you did with uh, with some yeah. ice, so I was obviously going as as smooth as possible in that regard. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it hit really well. It was a good it was a good high. Didn't over like not didn't knock me out too much but it was like yeah for me it was the perfect high to watch to watch the movie uh, and, a, and a long movie too a good three hour watch it was that's perfect true that. you want to be able to be locked in and not having to to take intermissions or anything to yeah. go out and <laughs> re-up yeah but but it's funny because you, you mentioned you mentioned sativas earlier that most people kind of prefer that i watched the movie with michelle and and oh. she she had commented herself that she tends to prefer sativas for movies and so when we were yeah. watching a three-hour movie with an indica i think she was like oh man we, we might need to take a break on this one <laughs> and i said yeah that's just totally like fair. put your put your head between your knees and just oh okay all right all right all right all right oh okay 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 yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just we go good. back in yeah yeah but, but what, was, what was so funny is i remember watching this movie on a VHS as a kid and it was uh-huh. a double VHS so sure. I remember I said to Michelle I said well don't worry there's a perfect break I remember where the VHS ends it's the perfect spot where we can take a break if we need to so it was all it was all perfectly planned anyway it's nice <laughs> um, it, it says that the the uh, crop of it is is uh, between 22 and 28 percent I don't know that I've ever seen a 28%, but I, I mean, I'm sure that they've managed it at some point. Uh, does it say on yours what, what the percentage was? Mine was 25, I think. Uh, this one says 23% THC and sure. uh, 0.10% CBD. So, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 23 uh, is, that's that seems pretty solid for the most part. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think I've seen many 28s. Uh, no. It's pretty pretty high up there. Yeah. It, and uh, I mean, there's a few companies that that have a, a bit of a wide range for their uh, their thing, and uh, sometimes favoring uh, a bit of a stronger thing than what they their normal crop is mm. being able to retain. And I, I want there's there's stuff that I know that they're struggling with too, trying to get stronger uh, product, fresher product on the the market quicker, um, so that they can. Uh, there's a lot of legalities uh, and red tape that's in the way of them getting that product into customers' hands and, and doing that. So I do hope that some of those regulations ease up a little bit so that they're able to get the best product that they can out. Because I know that the LBS that they sell in California and Colorado and stuff now is uh, probably closer to that 28 than it that. is the, the 23. Do you think this is going to be fixed anytime soon, or is this just kind of Canadian problems that'll permeate? I think there's a lot of Canadian problems that are going on right now, (laughs) and uh, the Canadian government is probably not going to prioritize uh, uh, cannabis uh, regulations as one of the. Which, yeah, I guess is fair. But for those of us who are cannabis users and uh, the people who are trying to build the the cannabis industry i mean it is an important way and an easy way for canada to make money right totally. now yep. just a, a reason to print it with 
people's pot use going up in the pandemic and people uh, uh 20 i think it's up 25 percent cannabis use wow. since the pandemic started which that's, is incredible and it means a lot. <laughs> a lot of people who never tried it before are starting to to do it right so yeah. well yeah i was wondering about that with with legalizing it how how many people were honestly just not smoking weed because it was illegal like there's got to be people out there like oh yeah it sounds interesting but i don't want to break the law i just i'm not going to do it kind of and the second it was legal like oh now i can do it i i really do wonder what the percentages would be of people who just no no don't do that because it's a drug versus don't do that only because it's illegal like there's just that that weird distinction you know <laughs> well and i think that's that's perhaps even less weird than the people who are still morally against it <laughs> like <laughs> the people yeah. who are like oh well i don't do it because it is an evil like i mean like uh, i i appreciate that there's people out there who are like well i want to follow the rules and i want to you know do do what's right by me and my family and okay fair enough and i mean there's evidence of people who uh, you know really got punished for something as uh, simple and uh unharmful as possession yeah. so uh i mean there's there's reason to be scared of the state totally uh, but yeah, I, I, it seems like more and more, even, even working as a bud tender, there seems to be more and more people coming in out of curiosity. And now that there are brands that are like even five years ago before legalization, it, it, with the, the big Toronto, uh, cannabis shop, uh, boom, mm -hmm. it was still all like a bunch of head shops. Yeah. And so you had to be a part of that culture or wanting to be a part of that culture to want to go in and ask the questions that you need to get the mm -hmm. stuff that you're you're looking for whereas now they're trying to make more like it's it feels weird to say like family friendly branding for for cannabis but that seems to be where it is which is allowing people who are maybe a bit older or younger or or whatever who are never a part of that scene to mm -hmm. be able to come in and go well what's what's this whole can i just uh you know vape something or something is there like an oil that i can do because i don't like smoking and yeah that, that's a good point that the, the branding to make it less like sketchy and less like a yeah. like this yeah this like this stoner club because yeah you're right like a, lot, a lot of those early ones that opened up when it was like that that boom of the the quasi-legal kind of things yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it, they were all very much like kind of dingy sort of just yeah it felt like a, a place where stoners would go to kind of talk to other stoners like yeah. it was it was very much Hemp that flag snoop dog posters yeah it was that <laughs> insular kind of community and so i, yeah, I know yeah. what you mean yeah that makes perfect sense when i see places like superette that have really trying to make the place look like a store not just a weed den there's a there's, yeah. a, there's a big difference there now you're right that'll bring like, a lot more people in yeah yeah tokyo smoke too it's sort of it's it's yeah. like an apple store almost like so people come in and you've got ipads and you're walking around the technology is there like i think the that there's yeah places that are trying to take from the culture that is not uh cannabis related and trying to say this is just a product and and a a, a a you know a fun time that you could indulge in just like if you went into an lcbo to buy yourself some rye you know yeah getting rid of that that stigma i think is a is a big thing as well and, and it will happen i imagine uh, based on what I'm reading about numbers being down with high school kids and stuff like that, just overall, because it's legal, the, that sort of that, you know, ooh, it's this thing I can do is kind of gone. Yeah. And so I think that might make a difference. And overall, yeah, a lot of a lot of parents, you know, kid, people having kids now, if they, if they grew yeah. up, if they're like us, they were growing up smoking, there will be this sort of this. Yeah, it, it won't be as villainized as it once was. And I hope it comes yeah. more mainstream and 
Just, yeah, it becomes something that is discussed in the same way alcohol is discussed. Like, you can go That's out and right. have a joint with somebody, and it's not like, oh, you're a skeezy stoner getting high with your buddy. You're like, no, we're going right. to go out and have a smoke and then talk. Like, it's exactly the same yeah. as having a beer. There's it's no a Friday difference. afternoon, yeah. and it's after work, and we're just <laughs> going to shoot the shit exactly. down at the local uh, cannabis bar. Yeah. And there's probably going to be a younger generation that comes up thinking like you know how like facebook now with gen z's is like not the thing like it's yeah. it, there's gonna be like a, a a whole generation of people who are like oh cannabis like we don't even care about that anymore like it's not it's gone from it's the dangerous thing that our parents are warning us about to it's the cool thing our parents are like it's actually pretty cool to do <laughs> cannabis and it's like oh no dave's dad smoking cannabis all the you're, time you're <laughs> totally right yeah you, like you go over and your yeah your friend's mom's like here i made some like cheese edibles for everybody and it's like uh <laughs> <laughs> no thanks mom yeah i, I can no totally thanks, see mom. that happening we're not like, into that no mom like get out of here like, what you don't want to you want to eat some weed with your mom <laughs> like no <laughs> yeah my my dream is is uh, a gen z nightmare that's that's very fun uh so the terpenes listed in it is beta caryophylline humulene linalool and then two i've never heard of one is i'm gonna butcher this it's beta beta yul yulin gene whoa beta yulin y-l-a-n-g-e-n-e wow i have no idea yang gene and then uh sel selenadians selenadians so those are two terpenes i've never even heard of and you and you know the industry, so that's that's surprising. Well, I yeah, I'm learning a lot, and uh, there's there tends to be like a, a a stable of terpenes that tend to be in different combinations for different strains, and mm. there's a bunch that are used a lot, like linalool and uh, caryophylline and uh, 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 limonene, and uh, show up like all the time in a lot of these things. But yeah, there's some that are just like that that's big. And I, I, uh, to be honest, I didn't have time to research them, so I don't know anything about them either. I don't even know how to pronounce them. Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll do it for the outro for this one. Um, is Sunset something that you would find yourself buying again? Um, probably. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, it wasn't, it wasn't overly priced. And, mm -hmm. um, for what, for, for the price, it was a very good, a very good high. I just, I imagine... If anything, it would probably be something I'd be more likely to smoke in joints, just because I'm I'm for myself I'm less concerned about the taste and the flavor with joints as I am with my bong. I like my bong hits to have a nice flavor to them, so yeah. I could see myself getting pre rolls of this or even just mm -hmm. buying you know a quarter or something like that and rolling up some just to have because it's it seems like it'd be a good joint weed, but um, with it not really is, the and they come in. Like the ones that are popular for us are the the one grams, yeah, that go out and to smoke an entire gram of this in a joint form, like in one sitting, is a lot. I it's, bet it's <laughs> you feel like Snoop Dogg. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I'd I'd probably get it too. I I I like to have a strong indica around. So especially if they were hitting a bit higher in the in the the THC uh, mm -hmm. portions of it, I would be. Much more interested in, in in picking some up. Yeah, if I could get a twenty eight from this, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, that brings us to the end of our first segment, which means it's time for our first game. You ready for this, Ed? Ooh, games. All right. Yeah. There's a game called In It to Minute. In it to minute. 
This is the game where you, our guest, are going to have to tell all of the events that take place in the movie that we watched, which is... The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yes, indeed it was, which is a super long movie, and I, I, this, this is probably the most challenging one that any guest has ever had to do. We're looking for a beginning, a middle, and an end, but the catch is you only have one minute to get it out. All right, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. I believe you can. You, you, you're, you, you loved this movie, so <laughs> I, I imagine it's, it's in your DNA. If anyone could do it, Ed, it's you. All right. Uh... All right, you got 60 seconds on the board. Get ready, in it to minute, and go! In it to minute. All right, is the story of three bounty hunter gunslingers who are all involved in a quest to find gold. We've got Tuco, the ugly, uh, Blondie, the good, and Angel Eyes, the bad. Uh, it starts off, Tuco is being hunted by some people because he is wanted. We see him fleeing, and we find out that he's worth about $2,000. Clint shows up, kills the guys that are after him, and Clint Tuco uh, to go into a little partnership and decide that they're going to use the two thousand dollars scam to sort of uh, make money, and then Clint can free Tuco before he gets uh, gets executed. So they've got this little scam going on for a little while. Uh, he eventually betrays Tuco. Tuco runs off in the desert, comes back to get Clint, tries to kill Clint. But while Clint and Tuco are kind of embattled in this little bit of a, a death struggle, uh, a wagon rolls by, and the guy on the wagon mentions this gold that is has been ten seconds oh, sold by the Confederates. And uh, Clint, Clint Eastwood, Tuco, and, and uh, Lee Van Cleave all go after the gold, and they had a sweet gunfight at the very end, and that's it. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> I got a lot of it. <laughs> right in time. That's that's fantastic. That's a ton of that movie. Holy shit. <laughs> Good one. I got three hours in a minute. Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, that's absolutely. All right, all right. Now, uh, uh, stick around, because when we come back on Let's Bogart, we're going to find out what we thought about the good, the bad, and the ugly right here at Kennington. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for tuning into the conversation right now, buds. Uh, We're just going to interrupt for a quick second to tell you a little bit about an organization that we here at Let's Bogart think is worth paying attention to. The Ontario Alliance to End Homelessness, or OAEH, is a network of communities, agencies, and individuals dedicated to preventing and ending homelessness in Ontario. What they do is the bringing together of civil society, sectoral leaders, and persons with lived experience in a collective voice on the Prevention and ending of homelessness in Ontario. They also work in advocacy, uh, identifying and mobilizing systemic right to housing challenges, research on the systemic and ongoing housing precarity and homelessness issues, and community initiatives, and expanding the impact of OAEH. The Ontario Alliance to End Homelessness exists to bring together locally driven homelessness groups into one united voice on homelessness in Ontario. Anyone may sign up as a partner to receive email updates. OAEH provides a convenient source for regular updates on pressing policy developments and in ho- in housing and homelessness. So if you want to get involved, you want to find out what's going on, you can add your voice to the conversation. All you have to do is go to oaeh.ca or reach out by email at info at oaeh.ca on Twitter at ohomelessness. That's O and then an H and then homelessness. Or by phone at 705-725-2228. Or visit that website one more time. It is oaeh.ca, the Ontario Alliance to End Homelessness. Let's get involved with our communities and uh, the organizations that are trying to take care of our most vulnerable. Well, thanks for tuning into the, the show. And now back to the conversation. 
All right, buddy, we're back. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. You, okay, I wanna, I wanna tell this to people because this was so amazing to me. Sometimes when I'm talking with a, a potential guest, I'm like, okay, so like uh, you can choose uh, any movie that you feel you can talk about, any, any uh, cannabis strain that you can talk about or edible or whatever you want. Um, and some people are like, oh, okay, well, I'll think about it. Maybe I'll try to figure out a movie next week. And then they bring me one or two options. You sent me an email with list. Uh, it was like 15 movies <laughs> in a list that you were like, I could talk about any one of these and it would be amazing. And they were all like prestige films or like big moments in cinema so it was so exciting to me to get to like <laughs> parse through and go oh i don't i have so little work to do i just get to like pick a good movie from this oh, list awesome i'm glad i'm glad i could uh, help you out like that that's great yeah absolutely and good and the bad and the ugly was was one of them i had never seen it before well, that's, that's why it I, seemed like a good pick. Yeah, you mentioned this, absolutely. and I think Aguirre, The Wrath of God, as the two you hadn't yeah, seen. Yeah, I'd never seen yeah. it. Yeah. Also, also great. But for the purposes of a podcast, I think Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is better. There's there's probably less to talk about in Aguirre, as great as it is. There's not a sure. lot of dialogue. It's a very visual film. So this is probably sure. better for the podcast. Yeah, Absolutely. And so what was your what was your first experience with Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? When did you see it? You said you saw had it on VHS as a kid. Oh, yeah. I, I It's hard to do the math, but I've probably seen this movie 50 times i'd say it's it's Holy it's shit. up there because i've been watching this since i was a little kid yeah i had i had the vhs probably from the time i was seven or eight up until i got the wow. dvds when i was in high school so yeah I, I think i probably saw this thing for the first time when i was probably six or seven which might be a little young in the grand scheme <laughs> little of early things, but <laughs> my my parents I, I i always give them credit where credit's due on this they were amazing with letting me watch adult films when i was younger but they did the best job of explaining to me what I was seeing and why it was what it was. And so I never had this problem with, with violence or scary things for the most part because they'd be like, this is a movie. These are actors. This is all fake. Sure. So yes, that guy's arm's getting blown off. Yes, that guy's getting shot, but it's it's not real. And they made a very clear distinction for me about the difference between real life violence and film violence. And I'm proud of the fact that film violence doesn't disturb me, but real life violence does. And I think that's uh -huh. a, an important distinction. I can tell, like you show me a real footage of somebody getting hurt and I'm like, oh man, I don't want to see that. But you show me yeah, a guy getting yeah. blown up in a movie and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> rock and roll. So, I think that was, that was I, I always have to give my parents credit for that that they did a very good job with that stuff so me seeing these movies when i was young i never it never felt like oh maybe he shouldn't be seeing this it was no no he knows what he knows what he's getting into and if it's really bad we can maybe fast forward but for the most part they were they were very good with that stuff so yeah i remember seeing this on tv uh so it would have been cut cut to ribbons obviously on uh, on tbs probably when i was about mm -hmm. yeah six or seven and i, mm -hmm. I remember my dad and i watched it they were doing this great promotional thing on TBS called Santa Clint is Coming to Town. Uh, it was a Clint Eastwood holiday thing. It was ridiculous. They had a picture of him with his little hat on. And yeah, it was, it was terrible. That's amazing. Uh, but I remember seeing it on TV and just, I just got sucked in. The, the, yeah. the, the majesty of the shots, the sprawling scenery, the, the juxtaposition of the close-ups to the long shots constantly just coming in and out and clint eastwood is just so cool in that movie <laughs> is he ever like like his opening line his, uh, the guy says you know you'll be you got a face pretty enough to be worth two thousand dollars and clint just says yeah but you don't look like the one who'll collect it like man <laughs> how do you beat that <laughs> he's he's too cool so you got clint being amazing you got lee van cleef as this fantastic villain and eli wallach giving a scene stealing performance 
unbelievable hey yeah just fantastic so yeah i i my memories of this movie were it blew me away sucked me in and i probably watched it again within a week i probably said to my dad hey let's let's go rent this i want to see the whole thing not cut (laughs) yeah yeah and would it have been because the the version that i saw uh recently was three hours but the original one that was released was 20 minutes shorter yeah there's there's a there's a number of scenes that were that were re-added and it's funny because i i didn't know about that until more recently because the dvd Mm -hmm. that i have um was like the first run dvds that they put out which were basically just high high resolution vhs transfers like they weren't they didn't really do much about it and i didn't know Mm -hmm. but in 2004 they did a full re-release of the movie and they put back all this all this extra footage uh, yeah. And so I had no idea about that. And last year, or no, 2019, not last year. Jeez, I'm losing my time. Uh, yeah, but, uh, time, hey? <laughs> uh, in 2019, I finally saw it on the big screen. Um, I, yeah, they played it down at the, um, uh, what's, what's it called? Uh, the one down at the Ontario place, uh, the Cinesphere. Um, oh, the Cinesphere, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, my, and we got tickets for my dad's birthday because he's a huge fan as well. So we went down and we saw it and they played the, the extended version. And so I'm sitting there going like, what, what? What the, what the hell is this? I I don't know these scenes. I've never heard this before. So I was blown away because there, there's some actually some cool stuff added in there. So I had no idea yeah. about those those extra bits, and that led me down this rabbit hole of kind of looking up some stuff and researching. And I remember thinking when I watched the movie a, a few days ago with Michelle because we watched the extended version on Netflix. I remember thinking that the voices in those scenes didn't sound right to me. Um, Clint and mm. Eli Wallach sounded off and I, I thought did they get an impersonator to come in when they redid the scenes because the, the audio was all done in post so right. when they went back to do the movie in 2000, uh, 2004 they would have had to do all the audio there wouldn't have been any audio for these cut scenes so I thought right. it was an impersonator but I looked it up and it wasn't they got Clint and Eli Wallach in 2002 to come back and do but the voices but they're so old so Clint's kind of <sighs> trying to sound like Clint but it's he's 75 years old <laughs> so it uh it didn't work oh, that's but incredible and that's the only thing that i remember standing out to me i was like that doesn't sound like clint eastwood but that's something yeah. you got to forgive because they obviously had to do it with what they could and yeah yeah so yeah well and different microphones and audio treatments and stuff too like yeah. technology had come so far so that's that's a hard thing to match up yeah but, but, so what was oh sorry what what was new uh like what were the things that they had taken out oh, and and i've got them all feel written like... down here for you, you really? <laughs> oh yeah because i because i they stood out to me very specifically yeah yeah so the 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 first really big one is where um tuco goes and, vi- and meets his gang again those three guys that he uh-huh. meets in the cave that scene yeah. is not in the original movie at all it goes uh-huh. from tuco getting the gun uh where he, where mm-hmm. he goes in that store and he steals the gun from the guy it goes right from that um to him um him and the three guys confronting clint in that town where he tries to hang him on the rafter it goes right to that scene uh and that's what i think doesn't really add much you don't really need to see tuco meeting those guys they're not characters they've got a little bit of dialogue and then they they get killed yeah. so i feel like that was probably a smart cut on uh, leon's part yeah um we've got a scene with uh lee van cleef when he talks to the confederates at the fort and they tell him about why um why he's gonna have a hard time finding some things and why people are going south and all that gives the guy the bottle of whiskey tells him about Mm -hmm. uh, looking for um bill carson so another Mm -hmm. thing doesn't really advance the plot because we know lee van cleef's looking for bill carson and when he gets to the next scene we still know he's looking for bill carson so that little bit doesn't add too much um tuco washes his feet when he's in the desert torturing clint eastwood there's a little extra scene there where he just kind of tortures him a little bit more 
Um, Tuco and Clint pulling up in a wagon to uh, a bunch of Confederates and Tuco kind of asking like, I got a sick man here. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And they direct them to the monastery. Another scene where you're like, we can just have them get to the monastery. You know, we don't we don't need this 30 seconds of extra dialogue to kind of to kind of get there. Uh, They've got one more little cut when they're on the wagon before they get captured by the Confederates. Uh, and then there's one last scene near the end where Clint and Angel Eyes are camping out before they go to get the gold and Angel Eyes' five guys show up and he shoots yeah, one of them yeah. and he says, well, why is six a good number? And he goes, I got six bullets in my gun, six of you. So there's, there's that yeah, little bit yeah. too. But all those scenes don't really add to the story. So I totally understand why Leon cut them out initially. And I yeah. remember looking it up and there were some people that actually said they were kind of dubious of putting these scenes back in because they think that he, if he cut them, they're cut. You know, the movie doesn't need yeah. 20 minutes of extra stuff. So, yeah. I'll tell you, I do, I do like the, 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 the scene of Tuco torturing him in the desert mm. with the water and watching his feet and uh-huh. having him like cr- the slow, like crawl over to it and he's going to drink it anyways. You're like, oh, that's so disgusting. And then he knocks over the water. That was cool. Um, just just because their relationship is so much of the movie, like so much of the in, I think, for this movie mm. is watching Blondie and, and Tuco interact with each other and have the, the tables be constantly uh, turned on them. Who has the power and who is going to do what with who? And who, uh, is there a truce or are they just waiting for a moment to yeah. betray each other? Like, that's so fun. That's a good, that's a good point. Then. That scene definitely has a little bit more there than from the other ones. Cause it, and it's also it's in the middle of a segment. So it doesn't, yeah. that scene doesn't feel as kind of disjointed as some of the other ones. Uh, and yeah, there's actually, there's one, there's one that I think specifically does actually break up the momentum of the movie. Uh, it's the only one that I noticed as being a bit of a problem. It's, it's where um, we go from Tuco's got Clint hanging by the rafter. He's about to, about to shoot the legs off the stool. The cannon fires, building gets blown up. Tuco looks up and Clint's gone and the, the noose is just hanging there and you hear the <laughs> and then in my original version that I had it cuts right to Tuco on his horse pursuing Clint and it goes right into the main theme uh... it's a beautiful transition because you're like he loses him and he's going after him in the extended cut it goes to that scene of Angel Eyes meeting the Confederates at the fort and yeah. it to me it feels like it's in the wrong spot it cuts that mm-hmm. momentum of Tuco's going after Clint. So I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, no, no, the music cue. Like, that's that's supposed to be there. And so, yeah, that really threw me. But it's the only one that yeah. feels wrong as opposed to just yeah. maybe tedious. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the only other one that I thought was interesting that gives a different, like, color feel then is the one where, yeah, they're, they're Angel Eyes and Blondie are camping out and he shoots one of the guys. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about not having that scene, because it does show Blondie is cool and, and, like, knows more than he's letting on and that the the relationship between them, the truce between them is tenuous, mm-hmm. uh, which creates tension. But... If you if you don't have that scene and then you have Blondie meeting Tuco again in the in the bathtub uh, place, then you're really unsure about where Blondie and Angel Eyes stand. Yes, and therefore where Tuco and Blondie stand. That's the tension true. of that gets zapped by knowing that he's already probably going to betray Angel Eyes mm. at some point. Yeah, well, that's 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 a good point. That's something I never thought about. If if Tuco hadn't shown back up. 
would mm-hmm. would Clint have just gone along with Angel Eyes, or would he have done something? Would he have betrayed him? I, yeah, I never thought about that before. If Tuco had gone off on the train and like with Sergeant Wallace, and he'd actually died, and that had all gone according to Angel Eyes' plan, yeah, would Clint yeah. have just been like, yeah, I'm cool with I'm cool with half the money, sure, like because <laughs> he he doesn't seem to be that greedy as much as he's you know he wants the money, he leaves half with Tuco, so I I could see him just being like, yeah, whatever, Angel Eyes, yeah, sure, man, <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think he leaves half with Tuco, though, because of their relationship. Because at the beginning, before they have the relationship that they developed over the course of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Eastwood betrays him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, leaves him, uh, okay, well, I think you should get off the horse and just uh, yeah. travel the desert. You yeah. should go off on your little walk. Uh, and I'll take all the money. So he does take the money from him at that beginning That's part true. when he doesn't have respect for him, which leads me to believe... Maybe that uh, his plan was with Angel Eyes to help find the thing and find an opportunity to betray him and shoot all of his men. That's a really good point. The The reason he gives the money to Tuco at the end is because Tuco's earned his respect throughout the film. Ah, yeah. I, I like that. Yeah, that's that's really cool. But he's not gonna he's not gonna let him off with like completely scot free. Yeah. He's gonna make him feel like oh you're gonna die and then and shoots the thing. Probably off. that's a little bit of revenge for the desert. He's like yeah 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 all you have the money but you did try to kill me. <laughs> yeah, which is where I think that torture scene really comes into play because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Blondie may have let. Uh, uh, Tuco uh, walk in the desert and Tuco was going to do the same to him, but Tuco stuck around to torture him mm-hmm. and showed that he he enjoys watching his his pain in yeah. that. And so at the end, then Blondie turns that around on Tuco. Yeah, I'm going to leave you with the money and you've earned my respect and whatever. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you still did this fucking that the, this is like this is for the washing the feet. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> So, uh, uh, yeah, the, the movie is awesome, is, is so, is so much fun. And for, for even with these extra scenes and the, and the really steep, uh, uh, runtime, I don't, I di- I never felt myself letting up off the steam, like the tension that is created in so many of these, like on a scene to scene basis, mm-hmm. you know, so little about each of these characters and yet you bring them into really close conflict with one another and it's exciting. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, fe- it, it doesn't feel the three hours. That's for sure. It's a, no. it's a quick ride for me. Yeah. And that, that that incredible, like the 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 stuff that they were doing with cutting and uh, uh, that the the Mexican standoff at the end oh, is man. just oh man. When they I I did laugh because they they build up they they have the big wide really really far away God's eye view wide shot of them like slowly measuring each other and then getting into place mm-hmm. for the three way thing. Um, and they build up the music and it, it, it's at its like zenith and then uh, that's all played in the wide and then they go in closer to each one yeah. of them and then start <laughs> editing around and bring the music really down and then let it like crescendo into yet another <laughs> huge thing. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah, it's, We're it's waiting for one like one gunshot or two gunshots we're waiting for mm. and the, the it's just it cuts uh, slowly from one to the other looking from each one and then cutting in closer to them and closer and closer and quicker and quicker yeah. and 
oh man, it's just brilliant. Yeah, the the build up there is is amazing, and you've you've gone on this like yeah this three hour journey, and it all comes down to this, like you said, like one shot or two shots. You don't know what's gonna happen, and yeah, it just builds and builds and builds. And like, you're right, the, the kind of like the fake out because it like it goes up and stops and then does it again, and like it seems like you shouldn't be able to get away with that, but because it's so powerful, it, yeah, it totally works. It yeah. it holds and it shouldn't. It yeah. shouldn't. Like any any studio worth their salt today would be like, well, you obviously you can't do these twice. You can do, you can cut between the close ups and the wide shot. Mm -hmm. uh, you can you can do that, but it should only crescendo really <laughs> yeah. once. It's like, come on, guy. <laughs> yeah, you really want this movie to be five minutes longer? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna hold. It's gonna hold. Yeah. People are gonna love it. I promise. <laughs> but but and it's it's amazing because I I think that unlike anybody else, Leon and and uh, Indio Morricone go hand in hand mm -hmm. so well. I I I don't want to diminish any of the stuff Leon did, but I don't think this movie would be the same without the music. I I don't think it oh, would be. Absolutely not. And so that that whole end duel, having that music, just, it, just the build up, you get you get a few themes that kind of return. There's this mm -hmm. beautiful Easter egg for people who love uh, for a few dollars more. There's a main theme in that movie that's done on a watch. And in uh -huh. the duel, when they cut down, they do the little chime part. That's the theme from a, for a few dollars more played in that. So it's a beautiful little, hey, did you see the last movie? There's a little <laughs> bit for you. So I always love that. It's just nice little, it's very brief, but they play the little theme really quickly. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, the music was so amazing. Uh, like, obviously, I'd heard these pieces before, even though I hadn't seen the movie, because it's so a part of like what we understand as spaghetti westerns now mm -hmm. like it's so uh, uh uh intrinsic any anytime you're going to reference uh old westerns this is the music that oh, you yeah like someone whistles the woo -doo -doo. yeah yeah that's become synonymous thinking, absolutely yes yeah. completely synonymous with the western but i was thinking about all of the different elements and this is probably being high but uh but thinking about it coming out at that time and thinking about the different themes and what they use like the 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 baritone recorder that sound is is like really used in kung fu movies before mm. this yeah you're right um and like a marching snare like the the snare drum which is very like really like uh, uh eurocentric and white and then like you've got like a flamenco acoustic guitar and then you've got this really really brassy rock and roll electric guitar yeah. from the 60s <laughs> like the elements are so disparate and from completely different influences that all come together to make this really iconic sound yeah. i was like that's a really brilliant composer Oh, he's fascinating. Yeah, and he and he, God, he, is he did so many different things. And I've I've heard a lot of his stuff, but I, I, the best work he did, I think, is all the Leone movies. It's he just there's something about his music. I think you said that the, the mix of everything coming together in a western. There's something about how it just feels. And yeah, there's an epicness to when you see a horse riding, and like yeah, that's that snare roll, and just yeah, there's there's something there that just I I I can't necessarily put my finger on it, but it makes the yeah. movie so much better than it could be. And I think yeah, their, their partnership is why I think these movies stand up so well compared to other stuff. Because yeah, if this was a different soundtrack, it could still be a great movie. But imagine some conventional kind of like cowboy music. It just it wouldn't it wouldn't work at all. And yeah, you got Gene Autry just singing there. Yeah, like it's not it's not gonna work. Well, and there's something so 
uh, cinematic about but about what both Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone are doing that I think like even knowing some of these pieces from watching like Tarantino stuff and him using it in Kill Bill, mm-hmm. I'm like, it really, this sound sounds like cinema. It doesn't, it, 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 you could hear it in an orchestra or whatever, but it would still feel like you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of that is having grown up with the, I, I guess the, the iconography of the sound being a part of that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's something about the, the, the ratcheting of tension that Sergio Leone seems to be interested in, Morricone compliments really well in doing that with the music too. Absolutely, and and I, I this is something I, I didn't know about until a couple of years ago. But apparently, they would often shoot the movies with the mu- music playing. He would, um, wow. Leone would have Morricone write stuff like be like, uh-huh. give me, give me something for this scene, and he'd bring it out and he'd put it, he'd literally put it on a Victrola and play it, and they would shoot the scenes. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense as to why some of the scenes are shot almost with a, like with a rhythm because he that mm-hmm. was his important thing. And, and we mentioned before, all these movies were shot entirely without any audio, so everything had to be done right. in post. So I imagine that that gave him a lot of freedom. Just say, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We're just gonna we're just gonna play this music really loudly. Go with the music. Say your lines, but we'll worry about how everything sounds later on. Right now, we want to get the feel of what this music would evoke. And so I think that probably plays a lot into it. I like that scene where Tuco's running through the desert, listening to the Ecstasy of Gold. That feels like he was hearing that music when he was running. Like it seems like he's on the beats. Like he's he's in that. And so I think that made yeah. a big difference as well. And I don't know many directors Absolutely. that would do that. Yeah. Yeah, probably not a lot now because you're just you're capturing sound as you're doing it, yeah. and like the freedom of of not having to capture uh, local sound too means that they had uh, language stuff that because they were shooting in Spain, so they had a bunch of Spanish actors. They were an Italian crew and an Italian uh, filmmaker, so they had a lot of Italians come over from doing that, and all of them were speaking their own languages, yeah. and because they were going to be able to dub it all into English later to be able to play it in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Quite an incredible idea when you think about it. I mean, just. To kind of yeah. like, like get around the idea that, well, what are we going to do? We're going to have a lot of foreign actors trying to trying to speak English really badly. No, just let's just do it this way. We'll dub it all in post and it will work out. Even though the mouths, you know, sometimes are, are, are a little bad. It doesn't bo- it never bothers me. It never feels wrong. No. Yeah. 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 It feels like a part of and part of it probably, too, is seeing that the people who are speaking English are also dubbing themselves. Yeah. So you your your ear gets trained to sort of disassociate the 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 mouth movement from what they're actually the sound of what they're saying definitely and and i, I remember I, every once in a while i'll catch even clint eli or lee van cleef making a little mistake because he delivered that wow. line six months later they're like oh yeah you need to do this in audio and you're watching your take and you're like i did i how did i uh forget it i'll just do the best i can you know especially yeah. in those extreme close-ups when they're like mumbling to, uh it, i was like how to, to like train yeah. yourself to do that and not to have any like on board audio to even match it up to yeah all you, you have is the script nothing yeah that must have been such a difficult process i can't what imagine trying to do that yeah. but yeah. hey it, it worked it's the, i think it's yeah. the reason why these movies are as amazing as they are if it had all been different people in their own languages or trying to speak english i think it would have ended up feeling a little less so it's a perfect storm yeah <laughs> they uh, apparently Eli Wallach uh, didn't speak any Italian, and Sergio Leone d- barely spoke any English, so they had to communicate with each other in French. Wow, That's which cool. Eli Wallach spoke terribly, and Sergio Leone spoke really well. Okay, <laughs> which is is pretty funny and really a cool like to to look back at something this uh, um, 
incredible and a, such a part of our cultural history. And to think about um, our struggle today in art to make things um, inclusive of diversity and uh, coming from different perspectives and different uh, languages and different uh, parts of the world and different uh, uh, racial identities and stuff like to to see I mean <laughs> Eli Wallach is playing a, a Mexican person so I mean that's that's probably not great but there is something about a bunch of different cultures like all coming together and making something together even even though they don't all come from the same place mm -hmm. that's pretty pretty cool and different like it feels different than other american uh made westerns that like clint eastwood made later oh oh definitely and and i think that that to me is one of the ironies of this is that in my opinion the best american western ever made was made by an italian director in spain like <laughs> it, it seems crazy to say that but like this sergio leone captured what other directors have tr were trying to do and subsequently still trying to do he got that in a way that they just don't some people just don't get and yeah i think the closest i've ever seen in terms of an american movie coming close to spaghetti western it's not amazing mm -hmm. but the, sh the shooting is there is sam raimi's the quick and the dead oh i love that it, one it, it's it feels like a spaghetti western it i don't know mm -hmm. what he was doing but the shots the lighting there's just something about that i remember watching it as a kid and i was like this feels like leone and i've never really mm -hmm. felt that with many other people and so i think raimi obviously is a big fan of him because he clearly put some of that in there but yeah there's not many directors i find that that with westerns get that sense of like desolation and isolation and huge deserts and this the space of what the west was it always feels so close in a lot of other movies in that movie you're like no it's it's, it's miles tuco could have been searching for clint for weeks months you never know and so yeah i think there's a there's something there that i i think he tapped into that yeah other other directors just have never been able to really capture again yeah and and setting it to like the 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 intelligence to set it with like a we're gonna do a quick draw competition like knowing that that's some of the most fun and and simplest like most elemental like we're tense because we don't know who's gonna get their gun out first yeah. or if they're gonna miss or when it's gonna happen like that's a really like emotional and guttural and instinctual thing to tap into so to make the quick and the dead about that and have the tension that happens sort of infrequently in the quick uh, or, uh, in uh, uh, good the bad and the ugly yeah and then have sam raimi's uh, freedom of camera to be a character like crash zooming into the thing yeah. that he like developed in all his horror movies was such a cool interesting way of doing an american blockbuster yeah, yeah. So, i love that one too oh man yeah that's a fucking great movie Eli Wallach in this one is you talked about it a little bit I just I, he his performance he's got so much screen time where it so much of it is just him yeah and it is never not fascinating yeah he's just like your I eyes can't so you suck leave him. yeah you, just, you can't yeah. watch him <laughs> he holds a frame apparently he <laughs> and the comedy that he's able to do like his character is so beautiful and so uh, like uh, by by so complicated like he's a good like he's an idiot but he's also a really good shot mm -hmm. he's like uh silly and like kind of buffoonish like kind of clown but also he's like smart enough to take the gun into the bathtub with him so yep. when the guy comes to him and thinks he's got him he's you know what i mean like there's so many layers to him 
Yeah, you, oh, that yeah, you get it's, to see. It's it's kind of fascinating you mentioned that because you're right. A lot of it is on his back. As much as it's Clint's the lead, there's there's so many scenes where it's kind of Tuco commanding it because Clint doesn't do much. You know, Clint just does his his Clint thing. So yeah, you're right. Eli Wallach really gets to kind of chew the scenery a lot, and it, but it never feels like egregious. It always feels like no, this is what this character would do. You are playing Tuco to a T. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to have a character like Clint plays in this trilogy and to set him to to have someone who works well in conflict with him, mm-hmm. you have to have somebody with like a sense of humor and you have to have somebody with uh, he's he's literally the man with no name. So we know so little about him as a character other than he's cool, he's really good at his job and he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like every everything else about him is sort of we we just infer from looks and stuff. But with uh with Tuco, we get to uh, have the moment where he uh, meets his brother who became the priest and we get to see oh. a little bit and that's heartbreaking like heart that stuff that he he's so angry with them and then as they're leaving he's like oh my brother loves me so much oh, he's yeah. that monologue was just like oh they're, what they're, a brilliant way to have played that i i i've i remember i was probably really high one time watching it but i remember there was a time when i when i noticed i started to notice his performance not just being, you know, all over the top, but like his eyes and his face. And mm-hmm. it, that scene you just mentioned in, in that in that one exchange where he's talking to his brother and when his brother says, um, our mother's been dead for a while, our father died just a few days ago, the look on Tuco's face is, it's heartbreaking. It's, oh. you can tell that he's just like, wait, my mom's been dead for a while and I, I missed my dad by like a week? Are you like, and, but he turns, he looks to the window and then his brother's like, what about you? You know, like, what about your wife? And he turns back around and you can tell he's, he's changed again. He's like, ah, lots of wives. Fuck you. I don't give a shit. I, who cares about yeah, anything? Yeah, yeah. And you can tell he had to, he had to hide that because he, yeah. for a minute there, he was completely ripped open and hell, he might, he might've like, he might've just fallen apart in front of his brother, but he doesn't, he holds on. And then like you said, when he goes out into the wagon with Clint, to me, this oh. is, this is the scene of the movie for him. When he goes out there and, and Clint's just sitting and he's like, ah, you know, he's just kind of kind of looking around and you can tell he's just, just kind of pissed off. And then he goes, ah, oh, you know, my belly's full. Ah, oh, you know, my brother's great. Didn't I tell you how great my brother is? And Clint, Clint <laughs> saw the fight. So Clint's like, yeah, you're full of shit, Tuco, but I'll, I'll let you have this one. And, yeah. and Tuco's telling these beautiful stories like, ah, oh, it's good to know that a rat like me, no matter what, he's always got a brother somewhere that never deny him a bowl of soup. And it's a beautiful line, but it's, it's all bullshit. And then yeah. Clint has this great line. He goes, yeah, and after a good meal, there's nothing like a good cigar. And he hands him a cigar. And in this moment, the amount of emotions in Tuco's face, it's, it's unbelievable. This is like an acting masterclass. He takes the cigar, he takes his little smoke, he like takes this breath, and he just like, you can tell, he's just like, all right, let it all go. And he puts yeah. the cigar back in his mouth, and he like looks, and then he smiles because he's like, all right, yeah. let's get that fucking gold. But it's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. there's just that range. And like, I, I'm someone who spent his whole life trying to be a good actor. You know, I take classes. I do all this stuff. I don't think you could teach what he does in that scene. He's doing yeah. something that is in his brain that just, it's its so ethereal. I can't even put my finger on it, but he does something there that I'm like, wow, that is a performance. Well, and there's that's something so, I think that ties into, I think, part of what uh, Leone is doing by setting it in the Civil War and having so much time spent with the, the soldiers and seeing the uh, the devastation of war and uh, how, how 
in in a movie that the violence is so fun like the 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 uh, who's going to draw first and who's going to be quicker who's got the cooler line or whatever to see real violence and yeah. real uh uh that you you really to to, to be able to only care about the gold and to only uh, be like a rapscallion or whatever. You really do have to close off a part of you that is human, a part of you that has empathy. And to to be able to get at Tuco in that moment in a way that we haven't experienced him up to that point and watch him l- leave that humanity behind him to watch him close the door again which yeah. is exactly what Clint Eastwood is is sort of known for like you you look into his eyes but in the man with no name you don't really see anything there mm-hmm. you don't it, you want him to be a good guy cuz he's named the good but he's often going to disappoint you in that way totally yeah and and it's funny I think there's something cool de- definitely yeah there, there's something really cool about that the fact that the, like the main character, like the good guy, isn't really the main character. He's got less personality and less character development than your 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 arguably your second lead. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, the, yeah. The more I think about it, it's it really is Tuco's movie, and Clint's just sort of oh, sort of just a secondary secondary thing there. He obviously he's the badass gunslinger, but yeah, this is this is Tuco's film for sure, and yeah, he yeah. steals all those scenes. And apparently it was a big uh, 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 bit of contention because the script was written, obviously, and Tuco, the character, is so... Even before Eli Wallach's performance, on the page, he's written so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both uh, 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 both Eastwood and... Uh, oh, what's the name of the guy playing? Oh, Lee Van Cleef. Van Cleef. Yeah. Uh, both of them had done uh, the other... Uh, the uh, Lee Van Cleef was in... For, for, a, for a few dollars, dollars more, the second one. More, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So he, they had both already done something with Leone, and so when Leone asked them to come back, Lee Van Cleef to play this different character, and Clint to reprise his role, mm-hmm. they were both like, well, like you're putting this on it like it's a trio, but really and truly this is Tuco's movie, <laughs> and I don't know how comfortable I am going out to Spain to shoot one of these movies in the desert, in the sun again, and uh, to not even really be the main character anymore but luckily they said yes so that we could have this movie but yeah that worked out pretty nicely <laughs> real good one, one of my favorite bits of trivia for his uh, his next film, which was Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, uh-huh. the next Leo movie, is there's an opening scene with three gun gunfighters, and he originally wanted to have Clint, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach play the three gunfighters <laughs> in the opening scene, but for scheduling reasons, they just, they just weren't able to make it work. But I remember thinking, like, yeah. as much as I'd like that, it would almost be too silly in the other movie because you'd be like well yeah. that is that is that supposed to be blondie and angel eyes and the or is it just something i'm not supposed to forget about so I, as, as much as that would have been really cool i think getting the yeah. the lesser known people was probably the better choice but yeah, yeah. it certainly keeps your story insular like the the, the last thing you want to do is like have like hollywood uh uh hollywood easter eggs right in the, the, yeah. the top of your movie and be thinking about these other movies that you loved so well in comparison to this new movie that the director is trying to present to you this new story that he wants you to invest in yeah. as an audience i think it's probably for the best yeah just leave that as its own yeah. now now one thing i i've always i've always been curious about because there's there's no real definitive uh, way to find this out, but a lot of people have speculated that The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is actually a prequel to the other two movies. Uh, it is, because they set it during the Civil as War. As opposed to the other ones the other being two. set after. But, I, but I've, had, I've, had some, I've had some people that have uh, kind of been contentious with this, say, well, there's, it's not necessarily determined that the other ones are post-Civil War. They mentioned that 
Lee Van Cleef fought in the Civil War, so it's possible it could still be going on. Like, I've, I've seen some vague things about that, okay. but the one that gets me is the fact that Clint wears a poncho in for a few dollars more and fistful of dollars, and he gets the poncho at the end of this movie. To me, That's that right. is that is what tells me that it is a prequel. So in my mind, I viewed it as a prequel for a number of years, that this is how it starts. But then that begs the question, what does he do with that $100,000 that he needs more money like six months down the line? <laughs> like... Because he makes less oh, guess, money in each movie. The, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he makes the most money. So you're like, okay, yeah. you start with a hundred grand, but by the end of the third one, you've got like thirty in your pocket, and you're like, oh, all right. So I always thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that is very funny. And back then, yeah, uh, hundred grand—that's like million, millions grand, of dollars. That's a ton of money. <laughs> but if you're living the life of a bounty hunter and going from town to town, the likelihood yeah. that you're even—you don't have a bank account that you can just throw that you're in right. the Cayman Islands. You, yeah. You've got to carry it around with you, and you're somebody uh, sticks a gun in your ass, and you're done. That's that's probably what happened. Yeah, he had—he lived high on the hog for a, a year, and then he got robbed, and you're like, yeah, I'll do it all over again. <laughs> Crime doesn't pay, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it was interesting because they uh, uh, Leone was really uh, I, I read that he really wanted to set this during the Civil War and someone at the time I can't remember what famous director it was it, maybe Coppola or someone hmm. does that make sense in '66 maybe not I uh, there was a really there was a famous director who told him like do not set this during the Civil War uh. like your other ones like set it later on because at the time in 66 Civil War movies were box office poison uh. because you really you you end up like taking a side and uh, uh, that's not going to play for the other half of uh, America that you're trying point. to peddle your film in. Mm -hmm. However, I think what was brilliant about this idea setting this during the Civil War is that he he doesn't take a side because we're following these people who are operating outside of the war and outside of law. Yeah. Um and all, the only point that he's making about war is that it's devastating, ugly and uh uh unhuman. Yeah. To both sides. S to both sides. It doesn't matter what side you're on. It's just that the violence of war is horrific. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, uh, you shouldn't celebrate it in the way that you celebrate it in Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and probably smartly enough, he, he, he doesn't go into anything about why the war happens. He goes, no, 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 there's a conflict. East, it's, it's north and south. Don't worry about it. Th that doesn't matter in the movie. And I think that might have been where maybe that director was warning him. He was like, don't sure. don't get into that stuff because, yeah, you, you as you said, you're, you're, you're going to be poking some buttons in at 66, civil rights movement, all that stuff. There would have been a lot there. Yeah. So probably, the, yeah, the right decision is just it's set during the Civil War, but the conflicts of the Civil War don't have anything to do with the plot of the film. It's just the, yeah. the war is the backdrop. Yeah. Well, and you make that by making your characters not really care about it. Their goal is for the gold. Yeah. They they want the gold, and the the war is standing in between them and their prize. Yeah. So what do they have to do to be able to do that to get there? Yeah. And they and they pop in on both sides. You see, yeah, yeah. you see good people on both sides. You see bad people on both sides. In fact, you know, mm -hmm. seeing Angel Eyes and Wallace as the bad union guys, you're like, yeah, the union wasn't. They're not all going to be sugar sweet guys. They're going to be some Absolutely. scumbags here too. So yeah, I like that you get. Both sides of that. And yeah, having them be arrested as Confederates and then try to enlist as, a, as, as union members is just is quite funny. I've always I always thought that so was funny. great. But like in a week, yeah. they fight on both sides of the war. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. The time, the time differentiation yeah. between which side they were fighting on. That's very funny because we have no idea how long it is. Like for all we know, they, they literally escape from that camp and like a week later, oh, let's enlist. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we got to get that gold somehow. But, but that and that whole segment, the the bit with the bridge, I think really hits on what you were saying about the war and the horror and all that is because you've got that captain who's just he's standing going like, I have to fight for this bridge every day. It's it, it we, we can't win it. This battle is pointless. People are going to keep dying. I just want to blow this thing up so we can all go somewhere else because it's it's a waste of time. And so it's just, yeah, you watch that battle. You watch these guys fight and die for nothing. And then mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood do it. Like, yeah, let's blow the damn thing up. And then when they blow it up, everyone just leaves. Like, it is it is resolved. Yeah. It's done. So I, I thought that's a fascinating part of that movie. And it's sort of, you know, it's it's not really that connected to the plot. They're just getting to no. Sad Hill. But there's, you can, you, could ha- you could cut all that out and it probably wouldn't affect the narrative. But there's a lot there. The, the connection of the war, them being on both sides, seeing all that. It's, yeah, it's important. To me, it adds a lot there. Yeah. yeah, and it seems to be what Leo, uh, if Leone is trying to say anything, it, that's where he's he's really trying to to do something. He's yeah. like, we're still making a western. It's still just about the gold and these two, you know, guys who are going to keep betraying each other, and we don't really know uh, how likable each of them are. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, you're fighting over this bridge. You blow up the bridge, you don't have anything to fight over anymore. Yeah. And so the war, like, what were we, what was all the devastation that we witnessed before? Yeah. For? Yeah. yeah. And, and oh, even though yeah, it's the, just brilliant, the captain who keeps drinking and it's like the only, the yeah. only way for us to fight is to all be pissed drunk. And you're like, that's really, that's brutal. Accurate with a lot of that, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I imagine there were guys going, I'm not going out there unless you give me a bottle of whiskey and then I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. But yeah, to put that Fuck. in there, these drunken soldiers terrified but fighting for a pointless thing it, yeah it, there's there's a, there's a lot in there for what could yeah. kind of be a throwaway there's there's a lot of good yeah. stuff in that scene absolutely so do you do you know the bit of trivia about the bridge explosion that they had to rebuild it <laughs> oh. oh that story is just amazing it's so amazing well let you tell it cuz well it's it's so uh, apparently what it was is they're getting ready to to explode the bridge and Leone says a word in Italian that means something different than what it is in Spanish. It's the same word, but like the word in Spanish is like go. Yeah. And he was just being like, ready? And he was like, yeah, ready. And the guy's like, oh, okay. Well, and so he hits the button, explodes the thing, and no cameras are rolling. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's fucking brutal. And so, yeah, I'm really like, well, all right, we'll go shoot some other scenes. You rebuild it and we'll do it again. And what I read about it was fascinating is that the amount of explosives it took to to destroy the bridge were so high because it was a real bridge. They didn't Uh build it to be a prop. They actually had to have the fight scene. So when they went to blow it up, they're like, we need a lot of dynamite to blow this bridge up. And what still blows my mind is the scene where Clinton Tuco are sitting there as it blows up. There's pieces of wood landing beside them. Like, yeah, I'm like, man, they, they could have died easily. A huge chunk of metal just hits Clint Eastwood in the face and he's, he's done. And so you're watching that. That's one scene. You're like, man, they blew that bridge up. It's, it's, you know, 500 feet, 200 feet or 500 feet, thousand meters away, but it's still close. So yeah, yeah, yeah. my God, uh, there, there's a few scenes in this movie that, uh, that really make me question Sergio Leone's uh, ethics as a director, but well, it's been yeah, yeah. And apparently the other one that was crazy to me was watching the, the scene with uh, uh, where Tuco is uh, uh, handcuffed to the dead guy and he puts the thing on the train. Yeah. Cause apparently Eli Wallach was like, I really don't know about like lying down so close to this fucking train. Yeah. And Leone's like, don't worry about it. It's, going to be really loud it's gonna be really scary but it's totally safe <laughs> and then in the wide shot you can see the distance between the lowest stair and his head is so, like 
inches, inches, which would have killed them. Oh, it would have yeah. killed them. That, that was the part I remember reading about where they, they say that uh, they didn't know about the steps. They measured everything, not counting the steps. Oh, yeah, it's totally fine. There's like, it's like a foot of clearance. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. when they were shooting it, one, one of the people said he was the whole time he was watching, he was like, don't lift your head, don't lift your head, don't lift your head. Because, yeah, he yeah, would have yeah. been killed. And mm-hmm. it's an amazing shot because, my God, does that look fantastic? But it I looks know, so what, good. At what cost? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> really terrifying and really kind of like you think you think to yourself when you're on a film set that like well i mean they brought in professionals to to figure all this stuff out so i mean me as the actor i'm pretty safe but sometimes it's just like well we're all just here trying to get a shot man it's all art and hopefully it looks exciting I know it's it's things like that, that that do give me you know a little bit of I'm I'm thankful that we have the unions and we have stuff that that, yeah. that can be in the way. But I, I know on the other hand, there's probably a lot of things that that wouldn't get attempted and wouldn't be done because there were there were all those rules. So how many amazing shots and amazing stunts do we do we praise? But you think back, oh, we could we couldn't do that now. Couldn't do that yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's one that that I for years I assumed was a stunt. It's actually a screw up. But it's one of the best parts of the mo- parts of the movie, so it it, it 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 works. But there's a there's a scene in um the Road Warrior, the second Mad Max movie, uh-huh. where a guys in a, on a on a on a car and he's driving and or sorry on a bike and he's supposed to hit a thing and basically like fly off like just straight. But when uh-huh. he hits the thing, his legs hit the bottom of the thing, so he literally goes he goes end over end flying through the air. And you're watching that and you're like, that's the coolest stunt I've ever seen. How did they do that with wires? And you look at it up and you're like, no, there were no wires. That guy was literally flying through the air and apparently like broke his shoulder, bro- broke all oh, these sure. things. But the shot is perfect. <laughs> and I imagine George Miller sitting there going like, oh, we're going to use that shot. And the guy's like, are you joking, man? Like, I'm like dying in that shot. But it's it's the one. And I'm sure now that there's no way they'd be able to clear that kind of shot. Oh, yeah, you're riding on a motorcycle. You're going to hit something and you're just going to fly forward. But like, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they made it work back then. And so those kind of things, I'm always fascinated by the the risk, but the reward yeah. is pretty nice. Well, I, and I guess as a stunt guy, you probably if you if you were like healing up in the hospital and George Miller came to visit you and was like, "Don't worry, we won't allow that that shot to be in a thing." You'd be like, "No, does it look good? Like, I fucking broke my shoulder for that fucking shot. I want that shot that's, in the movie." That's a good point. You're like, "Yeah, use that good one." Yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. There was an eyelash on the gate, so it just uh, it's just not going to work out. I think we're we're going to have to <laughs> just shoot it again. Do you have, you have it in you to do a second one? <laughs> oh, jeez. The 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 worst story I've ever heard on that one was from Triple X, the uh, the Vin Diesel movie, uh-huh. shot by Rob Cohen. So they're doing a crazy boat stunt. They do the stunt. The stunt double the stunt double nails it. And it's perfect. And Rob Cohen goes, "Yeah, I like it, but let's get a second one for coverage." <gasps> on the second take, the guy dies, oh, no. and it's just yeah, he died. Oh no! And you're like, wow, that is devastating. And it's like you wanted you wanted them to do a a, a very risky stunt for coverage. Like, come on, man, you had three cameras on the first one, you had it, you had the stunt, and yeah, he died the second time. It's like those things. You're like, geez, that just uh. and like this is probably this is in 2000. This was probably with a lot of safety protocols. Yeah. This wasn't just oh, yeah. let's throw this guy down some stairs. This was mm-hmm. well planned out. But yeah, he just he was doing something where he had to like air glide in or whatever, and he hit the bridge, and it just that was that was it. So yeah, those one, those ones are always so sad because it, it seems. 
it's at least now with all the CG, why they're moving away from stunts. I get it. It's so preventable now, but those guys were, those guys were doing a really, really big service for films. And it's, it's a shame that people got injured and died sometimes. Yeah. Well, and it's a shame that they they are still so intrinsic to all of the, the cinema that we are like superhero movies and action movies are like the big things that we watch in the theater right now. And stunt guys, stunt guys and stunt women are the ones who are, doing the the work to do that and you think to yourself like well they're a professional they know how to do that i remember hearing a story about edward norton talking to his stunt double in fight club when he goes down the stairs on the on the uh security cameras Mm because he's beating himself up because tyler durden whatever and he's like yeah so what are you thinking like how do you like what is the trick to falling down the stairs safely and the stunt double was like there is no trick you just fall downstairs and i'm like oh my god that's fucking horrifying yeah just oh no my job is just i just get hurt like i just do this thing so that you don't yeah that's oh man that's that's well and you have academy awards for like the writers and the directors Mm -hmm. and the producers and the actors and the uh, composers and nothing for any of the stunt teams Mm -hmm. that's just insane to me well i know they're they're pushing for that now there's been a lot of people saying that should be and a friend of mine had a really interesting point about why they haven't and i and i think this might be a reasonable point is that if you do that a lot of the actors are going to be revealed to not be doing much and I think maybe ah, that's the problem. Love talking about oh, it'd be fascinating. But like, yeah, you imagine a guy like Chris Evans who's playing Captain America. They all of a sudden they put the scene together and they go, actually, Chris Evans is in twenty five percent of this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. If you see Captain America, seventy five percent of the time it's his stunt double. And so all of a sudden people are going like, well, wait a minute, why are we paying these actors the money if they're not even if they're not even really doing the stuff that they're being hired to do? Like if if you're hiring a guy to play Captain America and his whole thing is he has to do rolls and tucks and jumps and all this stuff, and Chris Evans can do it but not well enough, then I'm kind of confused about what we're trying, what we're really trying to get here. If your stuntman's doing most of the role, then maybe that that's that is kind of becoming the role with something like that. And so I wonder if yeah, there's some leading men and women out there. They're like, I don't really want that to happen because then my my what I'm doing in these movies becomes greatly diminished. And there was yeah. there was a, a great example of that back with Flashdance from the '80s, where uh, mm-hmm. Jennifer Beals was the lead star in that. She got a lot of acclaim, and then when they revealed later on that she didn't do any of the dancing. People are like, double, yeah. oh, so why didn't you just cast a good dancer who could also act? It would have made it a lot more interesting. So, yeah, I, I wonder how much of that has to do with people guarding their careers a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But also a weird, like, disconnect between uh, what what audiences perceive an actor's job to do and what an actor's job is to do. Because mm. the people who are the most, fa- like, Tom Cruise absolutely is hanging off of a, like, a... a, a airplane as it's taking off and he's really doing that stunt and that's all they talk about as they try to promote the film Mm -hmm. but the reason tom cruise became tom cruise wasn't because he was the biggest or best athlete that we had in the world it was because he'd learned how to do this thing he learned how to use a a script and a character to uh connect with people on Mm -hmm. screen in a way that was fascinating and hard to look away from Mm -hmm. Um, and I think people, uh, because we're inundated with action films and, and superhero films, which uh, like I'm wearing an Avengers t-shirt right now. I love me some superhero movies. Yeah. But because of that um, distinction for actors, it, it is becoming um, how much of an athlete can you be rather than 
you know, who is able to give a, a, a really good performance mm-hmm. in a close-up. Eli Wallach could never be a movie star today. No. <laughs> but the performance that he gives in this fucking film is exceptional and a thing that i think even in the rest of his uh uh career he probably didn't get an opportunity like this again like he was in the godfather and stuff but he the the characters were smaller and uh less interesting Mm -hmm. and he showed that if you give him something interesting to do he will grab all over that and it's not because he was able to do things physically he was he was just really great at at finding a character, being fascinating, having having stuff be going on in his head and communicating that through the camera lens to the audience. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, like I, that I, scene. No, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I can say I guess that that is maybe that's that's the unfortunate limitation of a lot of the new movies now is because you're yeah you're right you're demanding that they have to also do that, and so even if even if you are going to have a stuntman doing a lot of it because the movies are so much action and and the stunts you're right yeah the 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 ability to kind of just sink your teeth into a really good dramatic role is is reduced because you might have to do that in the middle of an action sequence like that's something i find a lot but they're, they're having these emotional moments in the middle of a fight now so you know yeah. you got the actor like in, in robert downey jr's case with iron man he's literally just filming in front of a screen with his face and then mm-hmm. it cuts to a CGI version of a of a metal thing and you're like yeah so like yeah he he can still kind of give that performance but he's not actually there involved in the the scene so yeah that's that's, that's very that's a very good point though i think i think you're you're right that the um the ability to be athletic has kind of overshadowed what the priority should be for a, for a leading yeah. star yeah because whatever stuntman you get to do that Iron Man action sequence, if you put him in the the um, the table scene in Avengers where they're all fighting with each other, mm-hmm. like you you don't you, that stuntman probably wouldn't be able to give that performance because he did not study what Robert yeah. Downey Jr. did. Yeah, he doesn't have he, that. He, he didn't get to that place because of. Uh, uh, because of that he got through it because he could do athleticism really well and movies are more than just the the actors who are in front of the camera it's a real collaboration which i think gets lost because we we want to worship celebrities and we want to worship uh uh, the actors who we can see on the screen and and give them almost uh, them and the directors end up being the people who we give all of the credit for when something works out yeah when he when, when oftentimes the, the director might be the the least important part of an actor writer production combination yeah you're right that's and right we tend to gravitate towards the big names and that that makes a big difference no yeah that's 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 a big shame writers not getting the credit and designers and set stuff the number of times a movie is made because of its set and its pieces and no one really thinks about that yeah, yeah it's that's, yeah. that's true we collaborate no one ever talks stuff. about it the ad of a movie no one ever goes like you know what that this ad got everyone there on time every time was always anticipating the needs of the DOP and the ca- the the camera crew always uh, had a smile on so everyone was in a good mood so they were able to just like give a, a risky performance because they felt like they were you know no one no one talks about that and yet that part that 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 part of the team is so integral to making this film work which is why like the the thing about at skipping credits at the end of netflix like you do you really want to watch these credits there's a lot of them it's like yeah because that's how many people it took to make yeah. this amazing movie that you just watched yeah these people took the time to make it so you can give them 30 seconds of your time to watch it that's right <laughs> well that's that's the one thing i think was a huge boon of the the mcu movies doing the stinger scenes is 
they forced people to stay. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is kind of tedious. But I was like, no, 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 that actually, it, whether it was calculated or not, they've forced people to sit and go, I'm going to, I'm going to watch these credits. I'm going to read some names I probably would have never read before. And I, that's, that's, that's important. And I think that, that one thing that I noticed about a lot of older films that I think is something we lost because it became so important about starting your film with a bang is movies that start with an overture and credits. Mm -hmm. there, there can be something really nice about that. You've got a nice theme song, you've got some cool visuals and you're, you're putting names up and it's, it's not, you're not necessarily seeing the opening scene with the credits just kind of tucked to the side or even some of the more recent ones, they don't even show the credits at the beginning of the movie now. It just starts cold and you don't see them sure. till the end. So I, I do think there's something nice about the old films when you would get to see the credits before. But that yeah. being said, I understand why you can't now because you watch an old movie, there might have been 50, 60 names. Now you're going to have like 500 names because of all the technical stuff. So it's it's a lot harder to to put that at the front of a movie if you're going to do all the special effects teams because that's that's huge. Yeah. So I do get huge. That. And, you know, the other part of it that I uh, getting together with my fiance, Kristen, uh, her dad is a film composer so, oh, and she's a musician and a composer herself. So sitting and watching the credits at the end is also taking in what the composer wrote for this movie that you mm -hmm. may not have paid attention to because you were wrapped up in Robert Downey Jr.'s performance yeah. or whatever. Like, yeah. uh, being able to uh, just have the words on the screen and be able to sit and appreciate a piece of music and hear it for a second time and go, oh, that was really brilliant what they did with that mm -hmm. is a part of it too. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm on a soapbox, so that's probably the end of our second segment, which means it's time for yet another game. Ooh. Ed, you ready for this? Well, I'm excited. This is an opinion-based game, and it is called Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness. Right. This is just a bunch of questions, opinion-based. Yeah, uh, I tell, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so there's a thing about hosting where you have to figure out like how you're going to present each of these segments to mm. people. And this one, I always say to people, you can answer however you want. Obviously, if you're asking somebody's opinion, you're not... <laughs> You're asking them their opinion. Yeah. Of course they can say whatever they want, but I don't know how else to present it. So you can say whatever you want. All right. Uh, and uh, these are just a bunch of questions. So you ready to go? Let's do it. All right. So I already know the answer to this, but are you a sativa diva, an Indicana Jones, or a hybrid or dibrid? I'm an Indicana Jones. Boom. I do like snakes. Favorite. <laughs> oh, you, you do like snakes. I don't mind snakes. <laughs> don't tell michelle snakes can be cool <laughs> yeah she hates a snake she's not like okay. a snake uh favorite movie featuring cannabis Ooh, uh days and confused i am a sucker yeah. for richard linklater and i yeah. that movie i i was fortunate enough to watch that right at the time i was mitch kramer's age i was 14 when i saw that movie for the first time so i felt like i was like oh this is this is what i want high school to be this is literally what i want so yeah that movie that movie and me have a very personal relationship oh yeah uh be a lot cooler if you did <laughs> fictional or real person you'd most want to smoke with Oh, um, ooh, that's a tough one. Probably a real person. I, I would be, I would think it'd be pretty awesome to smoke some weed with Snoop Dogg. You know, we're, we're talking, we're yeah. talking about the brand, but honestly, like he just seems like one of the coolest, most interesting people. And I see lots of videos on Instagram of him getting high and just chatting with people. And I'm like, yeah, that, that looks like the place I want to be. He just seems like he's really, really fun and and he'd be tossing me like 30 blunts every five seconds. So I'd be, uh, uh -huh. be pretty awesome. Yeah, I think Snoop Dogg would be up there. Yeah. 
That would be that would be awesome too. And honestly, as an entrepreneur, like the guys are f- fucking brilliant yeah. at branding. Yeah. And so to be able to like chat them up and ask them about stuff and 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 ask for like advice as well as getting high with Snoop Dogg and to be able to have the cultural capital of going like, oh yeah, I got high with Snoop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Fuck, man. That's a great story for anyone who gets to do it. Oh, yeah. Uh, fictional or real place you'd most want to smoke? Ooh. I'll go with fictional. Uh, Ooh. Millennium Falcon. That would be <laughs> awesome. You, you got- go under the, uh, the, the where they hide when the stormtroopers come yeah. in and just hotbox that. <laughs> just like, oh, man. Yeah, you know Chewbacca's got a nice rig down there. So that's, that's, oh. uh, that seems good. Yeah. It's like a hookah underneath the, the digital chess set that he can bring oh, out. Oh, you're right. Yeah, presses a button. Up. Wait, when Han's mm-hmm. not around, Chewie's just like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, man, Chewie's a fucking hippie. Look oh, at him. Oh, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> That's a really good answer. Thanks. I really like that one, the Millennium Falcon. Have you seen, do you have Disney Plus? I do, yeah. Have you seen the, the walkthrough of the, the Millennium Falcon yeah, that they that just put on? Was Holy really shit, cool. that was awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. My, my only complaint about all this awesome stuff is I wish it had happened when I was a kid. Like, I know. All this Star Wars, Disney opening up theme parks and stuff. And I'm like, it's great. I want to go. I'll still go. But I'm like, man, if I'd been 12 years old when you oh. opened up Star Wars World, I, I would have exploded like it yeah it's just it's just it's such a shame to me that that all this stuff that like the the marvel cinematic universe star wars all these things that i still like and i still appreciate but yeah 12 year old me would have had a heart attack it would have been insane absolutely that clip is pretty awesome Uh, movie that would be most improved if only the characters smoked cannabis Ooh, interesting i feel like seven because if if Kevin Spacey's character just smoked weed, he probably wouldn't do those things he's doing. <laughs> the movie never would have happened. Wouldn't happen. No. Would his paltrow still be alive? Yeah, every, everybody's happy. You know, like everybody survives that movie. If someone just goes, "Yo, yo, yo, dude, John Doe, just 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 take a little bit of this stuff and don't ride the bus th- throwing up on people." Yeah. You know those notebooks you're oh writing in. Don't don't do that. Get some video games and smoke some weed. You'll yeah. be a lot happier. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> There's all these religious-based like horror video games that you're gonna that are yeah, really up your alley these yeah, days. You can, you can watch the Saw movies. You'll have a great time. Sure. Just smoke a little weed start, and have a good time, man. <laughs> start a Twitch channel yeah. and just tell everybody. You don't have to kill people to get in the headlines. You can just uh, build your brand. Yeah. Do, do your do your Seven Deadly Sins blog. It'll be great. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Yeah. So there we go. I think seven. That's a, that's a great answer. <laughs> Oh, that makes me want to watch Seven again. That's so fun. Uh, and can you make the sound of your favorite consumption method? <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We're right here on Let's Bogart with Ed Kennington. Come back because we are going to talk about whether we puff or pass on the good, the bad, and the ugly right here. So Don't go anywhere. All right, Ed. This is uh, this is puffer pastime, my friend. I I think I probably know the answer to this, but uh, good, the bad, the ugly. You puffer pass. Puffer pass. This is a big puff for me. Yeah, top yeah. top top ten of me of all time for me. Possibly top five. Like this is one of those mm-hmm. movies that, if I had to make a, a short list, it would be on the t- up at the top, definitely. So nothing nothing negative to really say. 
all, all the criticisms I would have would probably be technical issues that I don't sure. really feel fair bringing up because the movie was shot the way it was. So dubbing things and, and character yeah. to it, like it's yeah. it's all a part of the DNA of it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and there's just there's there's something about this trilogy uh, that speaks to me. Obviously, the good, the bad, and the ugly is is my favorite, but the, the whole thing just has a, a a substance to it that has always spoken to me. And yeah, they, they've been my favorite movies for most of my life, and I don't see anything changing mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, new things have come in every once in a while. Something might hop on top for a little while, but I always go back to the good, the bad, and the ugly. So yeah, definite puff, no question. If you had to do a top three of westerns, what do you think uh, you would you would put? Well, it could be a really sad, easy one, and to say the the dollars trilogy. But I, I, sure, I, I think yeah. if I really had to think about it, I think yeah, good, the bad, and the ugly is probably number one. Uh, I'm a sucker for Tombstone. I know a lot oh. of people don't but val kilmer and kurt russell in that are just next level it's unbelievable that movie is fantastic and the, the cast is so deep you've got kurt russell val kilmer sam elliott sam bill Elliot. paxton um oh. michael bean like it just it, the list goes on and, and i i remember seeing that one as a kid billy as well. zane billy, yeah billy zane like it's it's, it's fantastic <laughs> jason Priestley's in that thing for a fashion like what, <laughs> what are we talking right. about Oh, and fucking Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, Listen, yeah. Mister, I'm real scared. Oh, yeah. That fucking character is so different than anything he ever played so and ever funny. played after. It was so good. Damn right, oh. you're scared. I can see it in your eyes. Like, <laughs> love that. Oh, so Just get that flip pistol and see what happens next. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm real scared, Mister. Yeah, it's oh, it's so good. Oh, I love that. So, so I that would probably that. be a number two. Uh, yeah, and then, jeez, oh, third western. There's, there's a lot of good ones out there. Like, I, I do like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Sure. I like a lot of the John Waynes, uh, but mm-hmm. I I might have to pick another one that's kind of close to home. I, uh, Silverado uh, is a fantastic nice. one that not a lot of people yes. know because it was came on the '80s when westerns were kind of on the downturn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but another great cast: Scott Glenn, uh, Kevin Costner, Danny Costner. Glover, um, mm-hmm. Kevin Klein, Brian Dennehy. Really, really good as well. That's probably the top three. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. What about you? Top three. What about your top three? Yeah, I love those. I uh, uh, I'll tell you, Stagecoach for me mm. was a real big one. I, yeah. I I like John Wayne stuff. Like I, I've seen Searchers. I've seen uh, uh, True Grit. Uh, I haven't seen. To be honest, I haven't seen a lot of them. But Stagecoach for me was so different than any other Western that I that I've seen, mm. and I I really appreciate it. It was such a well-written script like the script for that one is just airtight mm-hmm. I, I love it wicked yeah john wayne's yeah john wayne's sort of i find his movies are very hit and miss because he made so yeah. many like he was just they were just mm-hmm. kind of churning them out and so a lot of them feel like that but then you yeah. get those you get those gems like the searchers and like stagecoach where they just yeah you can tell it was it was more than just a john wayne western vehicle there was something really there and they yeah. they managed to take it into something else because yeah i've seen i've seen probably 50 or 60 john wayne westerns and yeah. a lot of them are very forgettable they just yeah it's yeah. that movie where he shoots some people he gets into a fight and he calls people pilgrim it's great <laughs> but yeah tombstone for me also is is one of, is really up there val kilmer's performance yeah. in that is be- is the best thing he's ever done yeah, he's, it was he's really incredible and i don't think he got nominated i think that movie kind of no totally slipped under the radar because uh, and i think i remember reading about it that ebert gave it a huge review uh, but commented that because it came out later in the year, he was like, I think this will just sort of get, it'll get glossed over. And it's 93. So that's, that's Schindler's List. That's Jurassic Park. Like, I feel like that movie just kind of fell under the radar. And unfortunately, 
gets forgotten by a lot of people. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's fantastic. Which is too bad because it's it's got some real incredible performances. And as a movie, it just it really holds water. Mm-hmm. It's it's real good. Yeah. And apparently Powers Booth. Oh yeah, I forgot about Powers Booth. He's Curly Bill. Yeah. 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 Holy shit. And apparently so the film was ghost directed by Kurt Russell. Yeah, because the, the director left. And yeah, he, yeah, he had to take over. Yeah, the right the writer I, was going to direct it, and he got fired. So they brought in George P. Cosmatos, who's mm-hmm. well known for being like an agreeable director. Like he's like, oh yeah, yeah, like whatever the star kind of wants. So like, he worked with Stallone a couple times, which is exactly what uh-huh. Stallone wants. Uh, so yeah, right. apparently Kurt Russell just said, "Look, I know, I know what I'm looking for in this. I know what we want. Let me just kind of tell people what to do. You can get the credit, but I'll sort of just run the show." And yeah. It worked out. Oh, and it was it was even more than that because the, he had to leave. He got like sick or something. Oh, and took off. And they had this. They had built all these sets, oh. and they were bleeding money. Wow. And so Kurt Russell actually like stepped in and full on directed. That I didn't it. realize. And, oh shit. And then didn't talk about it. The the one of the coolest things to find out about Kurt Russell, I feel, is like yeah. knowing that he did all of that and then didn't didn't take any of the credit for it, allowed him to take the credit. And it was only later on when other people talked about their experience on the film that that came, came out. out. I'm like, Kurt Russell just seems like a fucking team player. Oh, what man. a That's gem, so man. Cool. Yeah. He's, what he's a fucking gem. He's one of my favorites, uh, for sure. Yeah. In terms of actors. I like, I love him. Yeah. You know what? I might, I might addend him to Snoop Dogg to Kurt Russell. Uh, it'd probably be pretty awesome <laughs> to smoke a joint with Kurt Russell. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a great circle though. Let me tell you, Whoa. having Kurt Russell and Snoop Dogg, <laughs> even just watch them talk to each other while getting high. Oh, I man. would be, all over that i feel like kurt russell would surprise you and you'd be like he'd, he'd have like all the deep cuts from snoop dogg's discography he'd be like oh yeah yeah that track from the album before right and you and snoop dogg are like what and kurt russell's like of course man i know this shit <laughs> yeah and snoop is like oh my favorite movie is overboard <laughs> they're both surprised at you <laughs> man if, if snoop dogg's favorite movie is overboard that's that's fantastic <laughs> i would love it yeah man kurt russell goldie hahn <laughs> Yeah. Mistaken identity is fantastic. <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah, I, I puff on good, bad, the ugly too. Nice. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show, Ed. Thank this you was for having a me. Real pleasure for me. Where can uh, uh, people find you and your band online? Uh, well, Bad Holiday is the band. Our website is badholiday.ca. You can check out all our info on there. But if you're looking for songs and some of the action, check out YouTube. We've got a Bad Holiday channel. Uh, we're on Instagram uh, and we're on Spotify as well. Our re- debut album was called 19. Came out in. Uh, Jeez, what was it, October of 2020? And uh, yeah, you can check the whole thing out on Spotify. And we are currently recording album number two. Hey, it's exciting. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck, that's so cool. Well, yeah, thanks so much for being on the show, man. This was a great suggestion. And thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to catch up and watch some Good, Bad, and the Ugly. I'm so glad I gave you a chance to watch something new. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I've, I've listened to a bunch of the episodes. I really dig the show. Uh, I was checking out oh, the thanks, Clockwork man. Orange one again uh, right before we went on. <laughs> it's funny, if you hadn't done that one, that would have been one of my suggestions because I feel like what a day. that had just so much to talk about. And you, got, you guys covered a lot of it, getting into all the uh, the sexual stuff and the, the heightened violence and the cartoon stuff. It was, it was yeah, it was really interesting to hear you guys talk about that. So I was a big fan of that episode. Well, thanks for listening, man. That's so cool. Thanks for having me on. All right, buds, that's it. That's the show. Great conversation, right? No, I had a great time. I had a really, really great time with Ed. I had a great time watching this movie. I had a great time smoking this weed. And uh, you know what? If you can't take pleasure in those three things in life, what can you take pleasure from? 
can follow Ed at Yogwin on Instagram. You can follow Bad Holiday Official to see what the band is up to. You can follow me at Daniel Williston. Uh, you can follow the guy who did all the music for the podcast. Uh, awesome musician, great guy, uh, JJ Thompson. You can follow him at JJ and his dog. And, and JJ and the Pillars, at JJ and the Pillars, just released a new single, and it's cool. It's very different than what they did before, but still has the, uh, the acoustic heart, the acoustic folk rock heart in it but some cool like uh, electronic drums and stuff it's very it's a very different sound it's a really cool single go on jj and the pillars uh on spotify and download it and check it out put it on your playlists you can follow the podcast at let's bogart on both the twits and the instas and the tiktoks uh and uh you can visit the uh website if you want the cat is trying to drink my fiance's Cream and sugar waiting for the coffee. Get out of here. Um, what was I saying? You can come to the website, danielwilson.com slash let's-bogart. We'd love to hear from you if you have a pairing you want to hear, if you have a movie that you'd like to hear. And, uh, hey, I'd love to hear from everybody. Uh, we're coming up on December in just a few weeks, and we're looking at alternative Christmas movies. What's your favorite Christmas movie that maybe nobody else watches? I know some people watch, like, they get together with the family, they watch the Lord of the Rings marathon. Uh, I know some people who do, uh, obviously, Die Hard is a, a point of contention in a lot of people's lives. Although, have, haven't the Christmas, uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie people want out by this point? Come on. Come on! It ends with, Oh, the weather outside is frightful. That's a Christmas movie. Anyway, let us know if you have a, a, an alternative Christmas title that you'd love to see covered on the show. And that's going to be it for us. So thank you so much for tuning in. That's the show. Uh, and tune in next Thursday when we bogart once more. De- definitely, yeah. There, there's something really cool about that. The fact that, like, the main character, like, the good guy, isn't really the main character. He's got less personality and less character development than your, your, your arguably your second lead. But... Yeah, no. The, yeah, the more I think about it, it's, it really is Tuco's movie, and Clint's just sort of, sort of, a secondary, secondary thing there. He obviously he's the badass gunslinger, but yeah, this is this is Tuco's film for sure. I mean, he steals all those scenes. 